0: man, thanks for being here. Um, Man, love what we get to do on Sundays. I probably say that a lot. I hope you never get tired of that, but love what we get to be part of together. Uh, Right there in the seat in front of you, uh, you should see a post-it note. You see a post-it note? Grab your post-it note. Grab the post-it note, grab a pen because I'm going to have you write something down for me. Uh, Leave the other post-it note. We have one more service after this. So you're going to make more work for my guest service team if they have to come through here and like add all those up. Or you can add more work for my volunteers today if you'd like. So here's what I'm going to have you do on that post-it note. You're going to do a number one and a number two. There's no way you're going to all see this, but at the top part, write a number one, leave some space then about halfway down the post-it note, write the number two. And here's what I'm going to have you write next to the number one. I want you to write the name of an individual that has impacted your life. Somebody that influenced you, somebody that impacted you. This could be a parent. This could be a coach. This could have been a teacher, a small group leader, a friend, a family member. Like somebody that if you were to think back on, and there's, there might be a lot, but man, this is one person that that really I would highlight as somebody that made a difference in my life. So I'm going to give you a second. I'm going to write mine down. As you're thinking through that individual, chances are good you chose that person uh, because of something very specific that they did. Or maybe it was... Not one specific thing, but it was consistency over a long period of time. If I were to ask you to explain to me, like, why did you write that person down in that number one spot? Chances are good you you will say something like, man, they they have always been there for me. Or there is this one time and they were exactly who I needed in that moment. You might say something along the lines of, they helped me, they encouraged me. They led me and guided me in a very difficult season or confusing season. They saw something in me. They walked alongside of me. They were always there for me. Like you probably are gonna say something like that. So now if you're willing, would you at least, I mean, you don't have to give like the whole story, but like somebody next to you, just like, hey, here's who I wrote down. Would you be willing to like next, like say hey to somebody next to you and like in doing so? I'll tell you mine. Mine's Rob Sweeney. He was my youth pastor back in high school. So share who yours was. Who's that number one person that impacted you in a mighty, mighty way? Now for the number two spot, Sit tight, we're going to do that at the very end. So don't do anything with the number two spot yet. Hold on to that. Number two spot we'll get to, which by the way, side note, if you haven't yet, you might want to like tell that person thank you at some point. Like shoot them a text today, give them a call, shoot them an email, message them on social media, let them know, hey, I was thinking of you today, you've made a huge impact in my life. I bring that up and I want us to like think about not just that person, but just that general idea of that's one of the ways that God chooses to work. He chooses to use us in other people's lives. He chose to use that person that you wrote down. He chose to use, in my case, he chose to use Rob in my life to help me and to direct me, to lead me, to guide me, to smooth off some rough edges. Like God chooses to use us to love others. He chooses us to lead others. He chooses us to guide others. He chooses us to walk alongside other people and to make a difference and an impact in their lives. When we think of some of the heroes of the faith, right, Old Testament, New Testament, when you think of the heroes of the, of the faith, the, the Moses and the Abraham, Saul, who later turns to Paul, like, when you look at their stories, you're like, man, like God was really using them. And most certainly, well, let's talk about Saul for a second. And just so we're clear, Saul is the same person that we will also refer to as Paul. As Saul, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader that was persecuting Christians, later came to know Jesus, and name changed to Paul, and he was like a missionary starting churches. So Saul slash Paul, incredibly influential in the Christian faith. When you look at your New Testament, right? When you look at the New Testament books, which is the back half of your Bible, 27 books, Paul wrote letters, books, he wrote 13 of those, almost half of our New Testament is from Paul. We actually looked at a story of Paul last week where he was doing some of these journeys and starting churches and encouraging Christians. If we were to add up all the cities that Saul traveled to, it would be about 50 cities where he traveled preaching the good news, telling people about Jesus, and encouraging the believers in those areas. That equates to about 10,000 miles of distance that he traveled on foot just to go and impact other people for Jesus. That's going from New York to LA four times, is what this man did. He planted a lot of churches. We know for certain he planted at least seven. Most scholars and theologians would say he planted anywhere between 14 and 20 plus churches. I mean, he's an incredibly influential hero of our faith, but even in Saul's life, even in his life, there was somebody God used to help him along the way. That's a name we probably don't know very much about. We might have heard the name Saul or Paul. You know a little bit of his story, and we're going to look through his story, but I want to focus on the individual that most of us probably don't know but had a huge impact on the life of Saul. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts basically the entire morning. Acts chapter 9, and that's where you can read about Saul's, Saul's encounter with Jesus. We're not going to read through all of his encounter because the focus is not on that point today. But Saul, like I said, he was a Pharisee, he was a religious leader. His mission in life, his personal mission in life as Saul was to persecute Christians and and lead to the demise of the church. That's what he wanted to do. He would, in Jerusalem, he would go around and he would be finding everybody that claimed to be a believer of Jesus. He would arrest them, persecute them, throw them in jail. He got a letter from the higher-ups that said he could go beyond Jerusalem, and so he was now going out into the known region, finding Christians to arrest them, and on his journey to one town to do just that, that's when he met Jesus, and Saul's life was never the same. So that's where we're going to pick it up. He meets Jesus, his life's being changed, and we're going to see how God uses someone very specific in Saul's life to help and to make a difference. Starting in verse 8, Acts chapter 9, verse 8, says Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. That's because when he met Jesus, Jesus was so bright, and he fell down on the ground, went blind. Read prior to, if you want to hear that story, read the rest of that story. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, a town. He, He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And we need to stop there because we see this in Scripture. We see this often where when God calls, there's this wonderful response of, yes, Lord. And we've talked about this before in this series of being all in to fully follow Jesus. That's our response to Jesus when he calls. That's our response to Jesus as we open up our heart to his word. That's our response to Jesus When he gives us opportunities and opens doors, our response is yes, Lord. Yes, that idea is whatever you're asking, my answer is yes. It's not a yes, I'm right here. It's a yes, I'm open to where you wanna take me and I'm open to what you wanna do. I'm open to whatever you would call me to, whenever, whatever, wherever, my answer is yes. Now real quick, let's pay attention, not just to his response, let's pay attention to what we know about Ananias. It's not a very familiar name, Chances are good most of us in this room had never heard of that name before. So what do we know about Ananias? Other than his name, we only know two things. The first one is where he lived. He He was from the town of Damascus, so we know where he lived. We also know that he was a believer. Those are the only two things we know about Ananias. We know where he lived, where his hometown was, and we know that he was a follower of Christ. I love that because that's us. Right? You might think, man, I'm just like a nobody. I don't know anything grand. I'm not super important. There's not much that I feel like I can bring to the table in regards to impacting others. You got a name. If you're a believer, then you're a follower of Christ. And you have a hometown. You have a place. You have an environment. And what we're going to see is that's, that's what God used I love that. So often we feel like oftentimes like when God calls us or when God moves in our lives or when God is leading us to something next, we feel like it's this, oh man, it's going to be like an overseas thing or it's going to be like a big career change or it's going to have to cause me to to move and to do something big because we think to do something big as far as impact, if we want to have a big impact, then we have to move big and we have to change big. To have a big impact, and that's not what we see with Ananias. God used him right where he was at. It's literally, all right, I'm, it's like Jesus was saying, I need a believer who lives in Damascus. Uh, Ananias, you're up. And that could be each and every one of our stories. If you're a believer, if you're a follower, then God could use you. I would say God wants to use you right here in your environment, in your community, in your home, in your hometown, in your church. You don't have to go far away looking for ways for God to use you to have a massive and big impact. So I would tell you, look for God to use you where you are. Look for God to use you in your church. Look for God to use you in your home. Look for God to use you on your street, in your neighborhood. Look for God to use you where you work, Look for God to use you where you are. For some of you, that changes, doesn't it? Well, today I'm in this place, and tomorrow I'm in that place. Look for God to use you where you are that day. Because all it takes is for you to say that phrase, yes, Lord. Wherever I'm at today, I want you to use me. Wherever I am today, I want you to use me for your glory and for the good of others, and that, uh, the good of others, and that's what we see with Ananias. He did not have to go far. He did not have to make all these changes. He had to be willing to say yes, Lord. So here's what Jesus is going to ask of him. Here's what he's saying yes to. Verse eleven, the Lord said, "Go over to Straight Street, very specific. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man, a man from Tarsus named Saul." He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. No no real big context, just here's what I need you to do, here's where I need you to go, here's what you're supposed to do when you get there. Like pretty clear cut and dry. No big like influential like pep talk, just Ananias, here's what I'm asking you to do. Seems pretty simple. Verse 13, but Lord... Exclaimed Ananias. Isn't it interesting how he went from yes, Lord, to but, Lord? We do that often. Yes, whatever you want. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. But, Lord, exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Yes, Lord whenever, whatever, however you want to use me, my answer is yes. Then he gives us an assignment. Well, hang on, but Lord, hang hang on, we need to talk through this just a little bit more. I've got some questions. I don't think you have the full picture. You don't know exactly what you're asking me to do. I love that Ananias in this but Lord moment doesn't ask Jesus questions, he just gives Jesus facts. Did you notice that? He says, Jesus, I don't know if you like have the full picture and full understanding of what's going on here, but Saul, the person you want me to willingly go to, he's the one that has been persecuting Christians. Anybody that claims your name in Jerusalem, he's been arresting them and persecuting them. But he also can do that now. Like he's traveling to my hometown to do just that. That's That's who you're asking me to go see. Just to make sure you know Jesus, because I don't feel like you know or you wouldn't ask this. He has hesitations, doesn't he? Ananias has hesitations. He's got objections. His two main objections are what Saul has done and what, what Saul has come to do. What he's done and what he's coming to do. You know what both of those revolve around? Fear. Don't you see what he's already done? How dare he? Don't you see what he could do? Like, I could show up to this house and he could arrest me. So his but Lord objection is rooted in fear. If we were honest, I think our but Lord objections and hesitations are usually rooted in fear as well. Yes, Lord, I want to be a follower of you. Yes, Lord, I want to give my life to you. Yes, Lord, I want to fully follow you. I want to be all in. But let me just make sure you understand my schedule right now, Jesus, because I don't think you have a full grasp on what I actually do during the day. So let me tell you what I'm in the Like, these are things I can't say no to, Jesus. So what you're asking me to do is like just one more thing. So let's make sure we're clear on this. Let me give you some facts because I don't think I can handle it all, right? Rooted in fear. But Lord, what you're asking me to do is way outside my comfort zone. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but that's not my sweet spot. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus, I don't know if you really know much about me, but my wiring is not set up for what you're asking me to do. It's rooted in fear. I'm not competent. Most of our but Lord statements and objections and hesitations are rooted in fear in some way. And Ananias is no different. God has given him, Jesus has given him a, what I would call a relatively simple assignment, a simple task. Go to this place and do this to that person. Help him there. No, 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 but you don't know what you're asking me. It's rooted in fear. Notice Jesus' response to Ananias' hesitations. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go, in other words, don't care, go, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the, to the Gentiles, to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So l- let's walk through this. There's a few things that might trip you up a little bit if we're not careful. So Jesus's response back is kidding aside. It's not an, I don't care. It's a, I hear you. Yeah, but still go. Right? There's not a dialogue of, oh man, that's a really good point. Let's talk through that a little bit more. Tell me what he did in Jerusalem again. I had no idea. Like, there's not a dialogue where Jesus is, is like taking his fears in consideration. No, it's, I hear you, go. So don't miss that piece of it. Right? And that's okay. Like, truly, don't mishear me. Share your fears with God. Tell him where you feel inadequate. Tell him where you feel unqualified. Like, God, I don't think I can do this, and I don't feel like I can do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Share those things with him, but be ready for him to say, I hear you. Have faith and go. Like, get ready for that. That's going to be the next part of it, probably. So he still says, go. And then he does explain just a little bit, just enough. He explains to Ananias that Saul is going to be his, do you remember the phrasing there? It's two words, his chosen, what was it? Instrument, his chosen instrument. He said, Saul is going to be my chosen instrument to spread the gospel to all these people, to the Gentiles and to the kings, and yes, to the people of Israel. That word their instrument, is literally just jar. It means vessel. It's literally like my teacup right right here. Like it's, it's literally just that it is an empty vessel that Jesus said, I've chosen this container to be what takes my message to someone else. That's why I'm asking you to go to Saul. He's going to be used, right? And for some of you, when I say he's going to be used, that has a negative connotation for you. Like, well, I don't want to be used. I want to make my own choices. I want to make my own destiny. I want to do what I want to do. My hope and prayers as we go through this morning, the word used in context of your spiritual life in God no longer has a negative connotation, but it makes you excited for what God wants to do. He's like, I want to use Saul. That's what he's telling Ananias. He says, no, 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 you misunderstand, Ananias. I want to use Saul. I want you to go and see him because I'm going to use him to do something incredible, and I was just like, but you know the container you're choosing, right? Like the vessel, the instrument that you want to use to spread your good news, that instrument has been used to persecute people, to arrest people that call your name, to, to hurt people like you want to use that container. And Jesus says, yes, because I can use any vessel. I can use any container. I can use any jar. I can use any instrument for my purposes and for my glory. So yes, I bring that up because some of you feel like, man, I'm not worthy. You don't know the container that I, you don't know what I've had in my my cup. You don't know the life that I've lived. Does God still want to use me? Absolutely. You are his chosen instrument to do something great and to make a difference for his kingdom. If he can use Saul, promise you he can use you and he can most certainly use me let me highlight one thing here Um, this trips people up I don't want to gloss over it I would like to gloss over it verse 16 and I will show him how much he must remember what the word there was how much he must suffer for my namesake this is an interesting phrase of Jesus is an interesting statement so we could read that and be like well of course he's got to suffer we know what he did that's his punishment And if you're not careful, you will assume that suffering is a punishment, that Jesus is claiming, yes, Saul, because of what you've done against me, now in order to be used by me, you're going to have to suffer as punishment. That's not what Jesus is saying whatsoever. Let me help you understand. I'm going to move out of the way. If you want to take a picture of these, let me walk you through these. Suffering has an interesting way of communicating differently within our spiritual context as a Christian. So let me explain it, then I'll walk you through some of these passages. Suffering does mainly two things. I'm gonna overgeneralize. One, we talked about it last week. Suffering causes us to depend more on Jesus. Suffering highlights our weaknesses and emphasizes God's strengths and his power. So when we suffer, We cannot rely on our own strength we have to rely on the strength of god that's called dependence that's a good thing in your relationship with god secondly in an interesting way suffering actually is one of the ways that proves you and i belong to christ let me show you this is where the passages come in out of romans and if you read these in full context you'll see a little bit more there romans here in romans 8 this section is talking about how we've been adopted by christ adopted into his family, which is why, look, we are his children. We are his heirs. In fact, we are heirs of his glory. That's great. That's what we get for being adopted into his family. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. We don't like that part. I want to share in your glory. I don't want to necessarily share in the suffering. But if we are his children and if we are following him and if we are with him, we not just get to experience his glory, we also experience the suffering Philippians 1 29, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting, but look at this, the privilege of suffering. Those are two words you usually don't put together. You mean this is a get to, not a have to? That's what Paul's saying in Philippians. You get to suffer for Jesus. Who's excited? No one. (laughs) Those were pity woos. (laughs) That's not something we typically get excited over, but that's what he's saying. He's like, this is a get to. Acts chapter five, the apostles were arrested. They were beaten. They were told to never speak the name of Jesus again. Look at the language. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God, look, counted them worthy to suffer. Not just they celebrated that they suffered. They considered, you mean we get to suffer? We are now worthy to suffer? Jesus, you're considering us worthy to suffer for your name? Luke nine twenty three: Jesus' own words. Anyone that wants to follow me, anybody that wants to be my disciple, must give up their own way, pick up their cross daily, and follow me. There's nothing about the cross that does not include suffering. You cannot have the cross without suffering. So I say all that, one, just to kind of help you understand how suffering works in the Christian faith, but also to help you understand what Jesus is telling Ananias, Jesus is saying, Ananias, you misunderstand. I know what he's done, but I've chosen to use him, and he will suffer just like you because he's one of us. He's a brother in Christ. He's one of my children, and as part of being with me and as part of being a child of God, yes, Ananias, he will suffer, but not as a punishment, but you will see that he has truly been called by me. So he's helping Ananias understand that the, the plan that Jesus has for Saul is to be used by God and to bring him into the family of God. And suffering is part of that. It is not punishment within the Christian context. It shows that we belong to Christ. As he suffered, so do we. Verse seven, so Ananias went and found Saul. I love the obedience and I love the faith. There was not another question from Ananias. There was not another statement from Ananias. There was not another objection. There was not another hesitation. He went and found Saul. I love the simplicity of that. And if you've been with us as we've been going through this all in study of what it looks like to fully follow Jesus, this is a very common phrase we've been seeing, isn't it? And so they went. And so he went. Jesus said, go. And he went. Don't misunderstand, though. I think I'm going to make an assumption here just trying to, as a human, picturing what Ananias was thinking and going through. I don't think he went to go see Saul because he was fully convinced. I don't think that. I mean, the things that Paul, Saul did were just horrific. Horrific. And I don't think it, I think it would have taken a lot more for Ananias to be fully convinced that Saul's heart has changed. I don't think, we do that, right? We're judgmental still. You can admit it. Like, "Ah, you say you're changed. I'm going to wait and see. Prove it. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt now, but I'm not sure if you've really changed. I think Ananias was in the same boat. I think he's uncertain. I don't think he fully trusted at all Saul. But he did not go to see Saul because he trusted Saul. I would imagine Ananias walked in even a little bit nervous. All right, this is where Jesus told me to go. This this could be it. This could could have been a a total mistake. Jesus could have sent me, but Saul could have been tricking Jesus, and his heart's not really changed, and he did, did, did this just to be a double agent to infiltrate the church in Damascus. I think he stepped into it nervous. But he did not, Ananias did not show up to see Saul because he trusted Saul. He showed up because he trusted in Jesus period. Had nothing to do with Saul. Jesus made that clear. Has nothing to do with him. I'm going to use him. He's one of us. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Stop worrying about the other people. Stop worrying about all your insecurities. Stop worrying about your fears. Stop worrying about everything else, and trust me. You know what gets in the way of our trust of Jesus at times? I don't want to say all the time, but I would say most certainly at times, maybe most of the time, is the uncertain outcome We wanna know for sure how this is gonna end up. And if I'm happy with how it's gonna end up, then I'll trust. But when the unknown steps in, we hesitate, just like Ananias. So maybe for you, this is gonna be extra helpful. Maybe this is where really what you needed to hear today is trust is not in the outcome. You do not trust in the outcome. You trust in Jesus. Trust is not in the results. Trust is in the person of Jesus. And if you're going through your Christian faith, just trusting that things will work out, trusting that it's going to be okay, trusting in the results and the outcome, you're missing the whole point. We trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And we leave the results to Jesus' plans. And they may not be ours. They most likely won't be ours. But that does not impact our faith and our trust in him. Our trust is not in the results or the outcome or how things will work. Our trust is solely in Jesus. All right, so let's finish verse 7. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Man, that had to have been hard to say. Saul, the one that persecuted my Christian friends in Jerusalem. I'm going to call you brother now. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. What an incredible partnership. Do you see how that partnership worked here? When you look at Jesus' role in Saul's story, and then you see Ananias' role in Saul's story, like it's an incredible partnership that Jesus chooses to invite us to be part of. This isn't he needed Ananias or had to use Ananias. It was a choice. It was like I'm choosing you, just like Jesus chose to use Saul. He's my chosen instrument. Ananias was a chosen instrument in Saul's life. Jesus did the hard part, of course. Jesus is the one that changed Saul's heart. You and I cannot change hearts. So if you're looking to make a difference in somebody's life by changing their heart, you're wasting your time. You're not going to change their heart. You're probably not even going to change their mind. But we don't see that from Ananias. That's Jesus' role, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So it's Jesus that met Saul on the road to Damascus. It was Jesus that spoke to Saul. It was Jesus that spoke to his heart. It was Jesus that changed his heart. It was Jesus that orchestrated this entire event of Saul heading into Damascus and Ananias in Damascus and talking to Ananias and sending him over here and sending a vision to Saul saying a guy named Ananias is going to come over. Like that's all Jesus's role. And we get into trouble when we try to play Jesus. When we try to do what his spirit is intended to do. But don't miss that Ananias had a huge part in this, a lovely part, a wonderful part in this. He went to Saul. He's the one that knocked on the door of that house on on Straight Street. said, I think a guy from Tarsus is expecting me. And he stepped in and he said, Saul, Jesus has spoken to you. I'm, I'm here just to help you with what's next. In fact, later on in Acts chapter 22, flip over just a, a few pages with me. Acts 22, uh, Saul, again, changed name to Paul later on. He was actually giving a reaccount of his story to some grou- a group of believers in Jerusalem, and he was telling it firsthand. And I want to read what Paul says about that moment with Ananias. He gives actually a little bit more detail than we read earlier on. I think it's helpful for us. Look at this. Verse 11 out of Acts 22. Paul says, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, notice what Ananias does throughout this story. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. This is my favorite part. So what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. That was the role of Ananias. Even Paul recognized the role of Ananias. said, oh, I see what you're doing here. Let me highlight what happened, because I think this is where it really helps us a lot. We got through this whole story of Ananias to get to these points. The first thing Ananias did in regards to being part of Saul's story, first thing that he did in being used by God was to trust Jesus, first and foremost. The rest of this story doesn't happen if Ananias doesn't trust Jesus to go see Saul. If he ended with, but Lord, there's no rest of the story. Yes, Lord, but Lord, but he still wins. He trusted in Jesus. If you want to be used by God to make a difference, if you want to be all in in regards to your faith and be used by God to impact people around you, you have to start there. Yes, Lord. There's a lot of buts, but I'm still going to follow. We have to start with trusting in Jesus. Then the next thing we see that Ananias does, Paul points it out, says that he stood beside me. I love that. Could you imagine being Saul for a moment, knowing what you did to Christians, and then having a believer standing next to you? That's meaningful. That's impactful. Judgment is no longer there. There's nothing that separates the two of them anymore because of their love for Jesus. These two should not be next to each other. Yet Ananias took the step and stood beside Saul. I would say the same to us. You wanna make a difference in people's life, you trust in Jesus and you stand beside other people. Stand beside them. Who's that person that God's put in your life that you feel maybe that's, that's who God wants me to, to impact and influence and help? You can't do that from a distance. You have to do that by standing beside them. You stand beside them when nobody else will. You stand beside them when it's not convenient. You stand beside them when it's difficult. You stand beside them and you walk through life with them. Begin to make a difference when you stand beside them. But you don't just stand there and walk with them. Notice what Ananias does next. He says, this is what you're supposed to do, right? He, he speaks truth over Saul. You are to be his instrument. You are to go and be a witness. You are to go and tell everyone, like he's speaking truth. The same is true for us. We stand beside them and we speak truth to them. If you just stand peop- with people and walk through life with people, you're, you're only getting half the equation of impact. The other impact is to speak truth into people, God's truth. Here's what God's word says. Here's the lie that I believe you're believing and here's the truth that that takes that lie away, that breaks that lie apart. You get to speak truth into people's life and encourage them. Many of you that wrote down that name for that number one spot, many of those people in your life spoke truth in you, didn't they? They said, here's the reality. Here's the struggle. Here's what you need here's what's going on. They they speak truth to you, and it makes a difference. Those words bring life to us. So we trust Jesus. We stand beside them. We speak truth to them. And lastly, we lead them in their next steps. That's exactly what Ananias did. He said, so I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm right here next to you. I'm telling you what Jesus told me to tell you. What are you waiting for? Literally, he says, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away because of Jesus. He's leading Saul to his next step. Because I would imagine Saul's like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. So Ananias is there to guide him in his next step. Let me talk about baptism real quick. First of all, some of you, that is your next step. And we're going to be super intentional over this next month of May to help you take that next step if you're ready for it to say, I haven't been baptized, I've been holding back, I've got a lot of but lords. And we wanna give you an opportunity to say yes and to be all in. Baptism is just that. It celebrates the fact that you're saying yes to Jesus. That's what it means. And that's what Ananias is helping Saul understand. Man, we're gonna baptize you. We want people to see this publicly so we can celebrate that your life is forever changed. But let me give another side of baptism. Ananias, what a cool story for him. What an impact Ananias had. He got to baptize Saul. So if you're a believer in the room, you're like, man, I've been baptized. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You know my prayer for you, and it has been since we started this church back in 2014, is as a believer, you would have the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ and baptize them. That's, That's the prayer. Not that I would get to baptize a bunch of people, but that you would. As you lead other people like Ananias, you make a difference. You get to see Jesus in their life. In our church context, let me show you a little bit of what that looks like. Let me show you what what making a difference and being all in can look like. Here's one, Uh, let me introduce to you Taylor and Taryn, right there. Uh, That's from last Sunday night. Our students did this epic color wars, dye wars, super fun. Uh, Some of you are like, that's not what I'm signing up for. I'm not saying you have to sign up for that. But that's what impact looks like because you're saying, I'm giving up so much and what you see behind are students. So Taryn and Taylor color themselves and look like Smurfs practically. So they have the opportunity to stand beside a student to speak truth into a student's life and to lead them into their next step. The reason I loved this event last week for our high schoolers so much, it's not because of all the fun they had. They did have fun but because the relationships that were built and the next steps that we'll see over the next month, the years in these students' lives. And it will be because of those two volunteers and many other like them. That's what it looks like to make a difference to stand next to somebody. Let me show you another one. This is from our kids ministry. This was posted on social media last week. If you put things on social media, it's free for me to use, just so you know. I did ask permission. Uh, Last week, Amanda volunteered for the very first time in our kids ministry. Look what she said. Had the opportunity to serve at local Dawson and Kids Ministry this morning. I've never done this before. That sounds like a good but, Lord, I've never done this. I always thought I would be te- that teaching Monday through Friday and doing kids church would be way too much. I agree with that. I could understand that wholeheartedly. I was. What's would she say? I was wrong. So often when we say these but lords, we think we're always right, and we don't give God the opportunity to prove us wrong. I Love that she said I had so much fun. That's what it looks like to stand beside somebody after you trust in Jesus, speak truth into people's lives and to lead them into a next step. I'm gonna give you permission. My volunteers know this, so I'm gonna give you permission to do something today. Before you leave, would you find a volunteer and just ask them one question? Why do you serve? Why do you volunteer? Why do you serve in kids ministry when you work with kids Monday through Friday? Why? Why do you come back to church on Sunday night just to have this big like, color wars, die wars thing with a bunch of teenagers. Like, why? Why do you hope open doors? Why do you direct traffic? Why do you serve coffee? Ask them why. And see what they say. God is calling you to make a difference, to impact somebody's life. We leave you with Ephesians chapter 2. The greatest news you'll ever hear. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this it is a gift from god salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it greatest news that's the gospel that we are saved because of his grace not our works not how much you serve not how many hours you volunteer not by the good things that you do we are saved by grace through our faith in jesus christ but keep reading the verse don't miss number verse 10. verse 10 says for we are god's masterpiece He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Because you are saved, if you're a believer, you trust in Jesus, he's got a job for you. He's got a plan for you. He's waiting for you to say, yes, Lord. Last thing before we pray, pull out your uh, post-it note again. Here's what I'm gonna leave you with. Number one, somebody that impacted your life, you have their name down. Number two, I want you to write down this prayer. God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? In other words, who do you want me to impact? I've been impacted by somebody in my life. Who do you want me to impact? God, I've had somebody influence me. Who do you want me to influence? God, you had so many people that you've orchestrated around me to help me become who I am today. I want to do that for other people. So what does that look like for you? Let him speak to your heart, and may our response be, yes, Lord. Jesus, thank you so much for how you move and for how you speak. Thank you so much for all that you're doing in our own personal lives. Thank you for the people that you have brought into our lives. But God, would you open our eyes so that we could see who you've placed around us. Help us to see the relationships and the environments and the places where you are calling us to go. And they could be right here in our own church, right here in our own backyard. May our response to you be yes, Lord. Even with hesitations, may we faithfully take a next step in trusting you and being willing to serve and impact the lives of the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.